Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Ольга Качура и Алексей Мозговой. 
это прокурор Луганской республики Сергей Горенко. Это десантник Нурмагомед Гаджимугомедов и все наши солдаты и офицеры, павшие смертью храбрых в ходе специальной военной операции. Они герои. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. No, it is not Blue Monday. It is, well, maybe Crazy Tuesday. We're going to talk about will Putin stop or be stopped. And in this podcast today, we have a wonderful interview with Fred Fleiss, who has been with us before to talk about the Russia-Ukraine war, World War Three, uh, nukes, U.S. Where are we on all this? Who blew up the uh, Nordstrom pipeline? Well, let me begin at the beginning. If I may, on the Michael Savage podcast, I will go back a few days to a speech that Putin gave that's very interesting. Vladimir Putin accuses the West of outright Satanism in fiery speech after annexing four Ukrainian regions, skynews.com. He accused the West of outright Satanism during a 37-minute tirade at a ceremony announcing the annexation of the territories. During the 37-minute speech, Putin said the West had no right to speak of democracy and that Western nations were acting like the imperialist states they had always been, unquote. He said, the dictatorship of the Western elites is directed against all societies, including the peoples of the Western countries themselves. This is a complete denial of humanity, the overthrow of faith and traditional values. Indeed, the suppression of freedom itself has taken on the features of a religion, outright Satanism, unquote. Putin also blamed the West of blowing up the underwater Nord Stream gas pipelines that were hit by unexplained leaks earlier last week. He said, the sanctions were not enough for the Anglo-Saxons. They moved on to sabotage. He said, it is hard to believe, but it is a fact that they organized the blasts on the Nord Stream international gas pipelines. Putin also sent a message to Kiev urging Ukraine to cease military action, but ruled out the annexed territory would be returned. He said it will not be returned. We call on the Kiev regime to immediately end hostilities, end the war that they unleashed back in 2014, and return to the negotiating table. He said we're ready for this, but we will not discuss the return of the four territories. After the ceremony, Putin held the celebratory concert in Moscow's Red Square, where a sea of supporters turned out waving Russian flags and chanting Russia, Russia. Now, what can I say to you? It's a dictatorship. And uh, they have their point of view. I'm not asking you to agree with it. But this was clearly an attempt to appeal to the right wing base in Western democracies who are fed up with the perverts and the demons in the West who have stolen our freedoms from us. Let me leave it at that. As far as the Nord Stream pipeline itself goes, we have a little speech for you that your president, Joe Biden, said he would blow up last uh, February. He said he'd blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. So when do we believe Biden? When he doesn't know what he's talking about? When he wanders off a stage? When he shakes hands with an Easter bunny? Or when he says he will blow up the Nord Stream pipeline? I want you to use your logic. Would Exxon blow up their own gas stations and their own pipelines? No. So why would Putin blow up the Nord Stream pipeline, which sends lots of revenue to Russia? Someone else did it. Okay, so let's listen to uh, your president, Biden. If Russia invades, uh, 
That means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. And now we move into another analysis of what's going on over there before we go on to the main interview today with Fred Flights. Putin allies bashed Russia's retreat from a city in Ukraine, calling military leaders garbage and saying they should be sent barefoot with machine guns straight to the front. I'm sure many of you felt the same way about our leadership when we ran out of Afghanistan and left uh, 50 or $100 billion worth of weapons for the, the vermin with dirty nightshirts to take. Russian troops retreated from Lyman, a Ukrainian city in the Donetsk region, on Friday. The retreat came one day after Putin claimed the region was part of Russia. Powerful allies to Putin said Russian military leaders should be punished over the retreat. Well, seems that here in America, many uh, powerful allies of America said that our leadership, so-called, in the military should be punished over the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You haven't heard much about that from Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper, have you? A day after the retreat, Ukrainian troops entered the city of Lyman, forcing Russian troops to retreat from an area Putin just declared part of Russia. Lyman is located in the Donetsk region, which Putin claimed to annex. In a post on Telegram... Ramzan Kadyrov, leader of Chechnya and an ally of Putin, said Russian military leadership had covered for an incompetent general that should be, quote, sent to the front to wash his shame off with blood, quote unquote, according to the New York Times translation. I'm giving you the news, world news. You're getting world news by your observer and commentator, Michael Savage. Another prominent supporter and close confidant of Putin, oligarch Yevgeny Prigozhin, Echoed those sentiments in a statement referring to Russia's military generals. He said, send all these pieces of garbage barefoot with machine guns straight to the front. Hmm. The Times reported. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shogu has come under fire recently and been accused of military failings, especially after Ukraine's successful counteroffensives in September. Now, Putin is escalating by mobilizing troops. He's instituted a draft. There are protests in Russia. And at this time, at the time of this report by your friendly observer, me, Putin appears to be on uncertain ground right now with key partners, including China and India. How do I know that? In a United Nations Security Council vote to condemn Putin's illegal annexation of Ukraine last Friday, both countries, China and India, abstained from voting. That's not a good sign for Putin. There's a great analysis of what is going on in the Jerusalem Post by a Seth J. Fransman. The J. Post is normally a very left-wing rag that's not reliable. Mr. Fransman seems to write with a, a centrist viewpoint very soberly. Let me summarize his analysis of what's going on over there for those of you who are interested in will Putin stop or be stopped. This third face was solidified when Russia decided to annex four regions of the battle neighbor. Russia launched the first phase by invading Ukraine on Feb 24. That was the first phase. It sought to conquer Kiev through a lightning advance on the capital, hoping Ukraine's leaders would flee to Lviv or leave the country. 
uh, Russia was pushed back. Next phase two of the war, a grinding offensive in the east. This offensive culminated in Russian forces taking some little towns and villages, including the eastern Ukrainian city of Severodonetsk in June. But that offensive also stalled, and Russia was soon facing a Ukrainian counteroffensive in the south and east. Losing ground, Moscow then set upon this latest phase of the war. The third phase, according to Mr. Fransman's analysis, includes mobilizing troops in an effort to hold on to territory it has taken. Russian President Putin is pivoting away from recognizing the breakaway areas of Luhansk and Donetsk as independent countries and instead annex them. It is also annexing two other areas of Ukraine in the south. Now, Russia has thrown down a new gauntlet by taking over a swath of southern and eastern Ukraine. On the one hand, he writes, this means Russia can claim that any Ukrainian counteroffensive is now an invasion of Russia. Okay? Because it has annexed these areas. On the other hand, it makes it much harder for Ukraine to join NATO and other organizations because it is at war and Russia contests part of the country. He's a very clever maneuverer, Mr. Putin. Don't underestimate him. We've never heard anyone say that Biden is senile when he clearly is, and yet we heard for months that, oh, Putin's senile, he's losing his mind, he's sick, he's dying. All lies by Jake Tapper and the established vermin in the media. Now Moscow is showing the lines of its eventual claims. Russia hasn't ever attempted something this ambitious. Fransman writes, this is different from Crimea or even Russia's conflict with Georgia in 08. You see, in the past, Russia created small fake independent areas to recognize, but now it is showing that it is willing to take over territory and then annex it. Here's the conclusion of Mr. Fransman's analysis in the J Post. Putin's decision to move to phase three is important because of this global shift. He has thought about it and gambled. Moscow continues to hint at the use of nuclear weapons. If that happens, it would be phase four of the war, representing Russia's decision to abandon all of the world's norms since the Second World War. Such a scenario would be a gamble that the global South and China would still not side with the West when presented with nuclear threats. And that's the end of Mr. Fransman's analysis in the J Post. I want to comment on the nuclear issue for one moment. It is long overdue for the world to send diplomats, not tanks. It's long overdue for the schmucks running this country to stop feeding the war machine simply to make the manufacturers of machinery rich. These are very sick, stupid college people. Are you telling me that this Sullivan character or that moron in the State Department are people you have confidence in? They are Obama stooges. And they are putting the world at risk of a nuclear war. I'm not saying Russia is right. I'm saying Russia is wrong. And I'm saying that Ukraine may be very noble in holding on to its territory. But at the end of the day, the world cannot afford a nuclear war. At the end of the day, we have to knock some heads together and tell Mr. Zelensky, the great Zelensky, who will be seen for what he is, mark my words, within the year, before this year is out, no, before next year is out, the world will turn on that perverted comedian. And then all hell will break loose. No, he's not a hero. 
He's a stooge of the war machine, both in Ukraine and America. And it's time to stop sending weapons and start making them settle for a peace talk before the world goes up in flames. Where the hell did the peace movement go in America? Where did all the liars of the left go? Where'd they go? Where? They never were anti-war. They were anti-American. Now let's get ready for a great interview coming up with Fred Flights, who you've heard before on the Michael Savage Show. We're talking about will Putin stop or be stopped? I'm giving you world news. I am your observer and commentator, Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Dr. Flights, I presume. Oh, good to see you. Although I'm not a doctor like you. <laughs> Listen, if you have a sore throat, don't call me. <laughs> Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. Today, we are honored to have Mr. Flights back again. And if I say former CIA analyst, you'll be very impressed, but it's true. But more than that, he's an expert on issues to do with the subject of Russia, Ukraine, war and peace. And you've probably seen him on Newsmax TV. I've seen you on other channels recently. So that you're doing a lot of different channels now, right, Fred? I, I, I'm a Newsmax TV contributor. Occasionally, I'm on Fox News. That's a big crossover. And what we're talking about today is the war in between Russia and Ukraine. It's been seven months since Putin invaded. And it's an invasion that you predicted weeks before it happened. Now, at that time, I think you and I speculated how Putin might react if he were cornered. Right now, many experts seem to believe he is cornered. Do you agree with this assessment? Because I don't think I don't think it's true. Well, I, I don't think he's cornered yet, but let's let's start from another perspective on this conflict. OK, I mean, like 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 many uh, conflicts, there have been many miscalculations. Putin mm. clearly miscalculated the strength of his army, the resistance of the Ukrainian army. I think he miscalculated how the West would respond. But there were huge miscalculations by the West. Uh, Putin gave signals that NATO membership for Ukraine was unacceptable to him. He did it in an article. He warned beforehand. And I think if we had not been so arrogant in ignoring his demands that Ukraine not be admitted, maybe just say, we'll put this off for 20 years, he would not have he would not have invaded. But, Fred, they want mean, they wanted a conflict. They want Russia to deplete their resources. And okay, to create I, I hear that. But let me let me make a couple more points and let's sure. get to that. Uh, I think uh, Biden miscalculated by not arming Ukraine beforehand uh, and by being so slow to provide weapons. I think if the weapons that Ukraine has now it had earlier, the conflict would not have gotten to this point. Now we're faced with the, with the, the miscalculation possibility. Is there a red line under which we will give Ukraine so much weapons that Russia will use nuclear weapons. You know, they're talking right now of giving Ukraine battle tanks and F-16s. Uh, I mean, when when does the moment come where Putin decides this is a proxy war and he's no longer going to uh, keep bluffing with nuclear weapons? He will start using tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine. It seems like no one's allowed to talk about that. But I think when a megalomaniac threatens to use nuclear weapons, we need to take that threat seriously. 
I found this today in an article in the Jerusalem Post, and it's a small quote I put on Twitter. Russia's hawks want a nationwide mobilization, a set of wartime emergency decrees. They demand carpet bombing of Kiev, Lviv and other cities and annihilation of civilian infrastructure, such as power plants, railway lines, bridges and dams across Ukraine and the use of tactical nukes. That's what his right wing is saying to him in Russia. He's actually a moderate. From the Russian point of view, Russian. Well, I'm I'm really worried to hear that. I'm hearing similar things, and I, I keep hearing, on the other hand, that the U.S. is warning him, "You better not do this." I heard a pundit on TV just this afternoon saying, "Look, we can't talk about a negotiated settlement or taking this nuke threat seriously because if we do, uh, China will think it's okay to use nuclear weapons." That's just faulty logic. Um, he he is not in. I don't know if he's in a corner now. He's certainly being backed into one. But I think we're putting him in a situation where he's just going to decide that this is now a war with NATO and he may respond accordingly. Do you think Putin is playing Sun Tzu's philosophy rather than I did a podcast months and months ago. Is Putin playing possum? We're all speculating. But he wasn't born yesterday and this is not his first rodeo to use a pat phrase. Okay, so I have studied Russian warfare history as an amateur over centuries. And there have been others who have miscalculated Russia before, whether it be Hitler 70 years ago or 80 years ago, 70 or 80 years ago, who thought that Russia could be easily rolled over. And then the winter came. And not only did the weather stop the Germans, as we all know, Napoleon was also stopped by the weather. But out of Siberia came a million men. And 10,000 tanks that the Germans didn't know they had. And I'm terrified, or shall I say, I'm enough of a realist to believe that he could roll them over any day he wants. And he doesn't give a damn about NATO. Well, I've talked to some experts that say that the Russian army has an expert, has a a habit of doing everything wrong, but winning in the end. (laughs) Oh, I I love that. That, I love that. They have so much territory. They'll keep retreating and retreating and retreating. We saw them do this to Napoleon. We saw them do this to Hitler and eventually get their act together. And and the supply lines of of the enemy are so long, Russia is able to to get get control of the conflict. We're looking at a different conflict here. I don't think there's any grand plan by Putin here. I think Uh. this is is extremely um, uh, poorly thought through, poorly managed, he had assumptions about the strength of the Ukrainian government and, and military that were absolutely wrong. He overestimated the strength of his army. If there's some master plan here, I, I just don't see it. I'm reading a book called Russia's Revolution by Leon Aaron, 1989 to 2006. We recently had Rebecca Koffler on, on Putin's playbook. She's great. She, she was she was wonderful, but she was wrong. She had given a, a date upon which something would happen. you got to be very careful to give dates. Uh, It didn't happen. So we know that Russia is organizing for war. We know they're disorganizing for war. But as you just said, they can do everything wrong and win in the end. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So when we have a State Department like this run by college boys, And otherwise, individuals who have no business experience, let alone military experience. I'm quite concerned that when they do strike back, 
in a dramatic fashion, we're going to overreact. What if we suddenly supply uh, Ukraine with nuclear weapons and they use one on Russia? What would happen then? Do we really need World War Three? Where is the diplomacy, Fred? Well, I, I, there's zero chance that's going to happen. That's not. We're not going to give nuclear weapons. But let me. T- but let me touch on a, a related issue. The State Department spokesman Ned Price was asked about Putin's threats to use nuclear weapons, and his response was, "Well, this very clearly shows that Putin's losing." We released information, declassified intelligence information indicating uh, that uh, we believed, we had reason to believe, uh, that Russia would seek to commit uh, the very type, the very sort of atrocities uh, that we are now seeing. Uh, The president also, as you heard, emphasized that it will be the task of international lawyers to determine uh, whether what we're seeing meets that legal threshold of genocide. You know, I I compare that with what Biden said at the General Assembly, this long diatribe attacking Russia and Putin. War chosen by one man, to be very blunt. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Look, the president had to condemn Putin and and, and Russia for the invasion of Ukraine, but that speech didn't help. This speech by Ned Price didn't help. We need negotiations. Mm -hmm. Demonizing Putin further, the name calling isn't going to end the conflict. It's frankly, it's going to infuriate Putin and increase the chances he'll he'll, he'll resort to weapons of mass destruction or carpet bombing, whatever. We need negotiations. There was very little, almost nothing by Biden on any effort to get negotiations right now. All he wants to do is to uh, uh, make up for his shortcomings in his leadership and foreign policy by beating up Putin rhetorically. He's not interested in solving this conflict. He isn't. Wait, you mean Putin's not interested in solving resolving Biden. it? But, um, no, Biden. Biden doesn't want to resolve the conflict. I believe that there's a strategy, if you want to call it that, in the United States State Department and elsewhere, that if we continue to bleed Russia with this proxy war, eventually we will break the uh, communist empire that they're still fighting with from 50 years ago. They're still fighting Reagan's war against the Soviet Union. Is that an apt analysis, in your opinion? I think there are people in the U.S. government who believe that, okay. that, that we can ruin the Russian economy, we can ruin the Russian government and military through this conflict. They're, they're just can't discounting the fact that Putin may not be prepared to go along with that. And also, Putin has become closer to China, which creates a greater threat to us, not a lesser threat. I think you know more about this than I do. I believe that Russia and China were not exactly allies prior to this. I'm concerned about Russia and China moving closer together. I was uh, relieved a bit at the reaction by the Chinese and Russian leaders when they met with Putin recently. They don't seem happy about this conflict. I don't think China has ever been happy about it. They're happy to uh, exploit a conflict that that uh, helps them and their interests at, at, at the expense of the West. Uh, but I think the Chinese probably look as Putin as a fool. They see him as a junior partner. Mm. This conflict is upsetting their global economic interests. The Chinese would like this conflict to be over, but they don't want to say that because they don't want to say anything 
that would support U.S. interests or U.S. policy. Well, they, they play the Sun Tzu game. I mean, they know the art of war, and I don't think that uh, the girls running the State Department have ever studied the art of war, but they practice the art of war from a one-sided point of view without thinking about what the other side might be doing as they're acting or reacting. So it leads us to this, this article that I read today by Alexei Bayer, whoever he may be, in the J-Post, Russia will lose the war against Ukraine. Here's why. And he goes through a lengthy explanation. And then I read the piece about what the Russia hawks want to do. Some of them even call for blowing up nuclear power plants and using tactical nuclear weapons. Anything less would be cowardice or treason, they say. Then he summarizes. Freddie says, the truth is that Russia can no longer do it. It simply lacks the required resources and firepower. A major escalation of the war and more war crimes by Russia will only bring more weapons and more advanced weapons to Ukraine. Ukrainians are getting better at using them and are learning to fight a modern war. Things are going to get even worse for Putin's soldiers and infighting in Russian society will intensify with each new defeat. Is that is that wishful thinking? I, I think it is. I, I think the likely uh, outcome for the next year is a stalemate, a long war of attrition. And during that war, Ukraine will be flattened by Russian missiles and maybe Russia will make some slight games. Maybe they'll lose some territory. But the nation of Ukraine is being destroyed economically. Its infrastructure is being destroyed. This is not a win for Ukraine. Mm. I don't think the Ukrainian army is going to defeat the Russian army. I think the Russian army is going to is going to dig in. They're going to hold out to the bad weather. They're going to train more troops, bring in more uh, weapons. And uh, I think P Putin will look long and hard if he sees a huge increase and military hardware going to Ukraine, such as tanks and, and fighter jets. I don't think they're going to get fighter jets, but it worries me that's being discussed. Well, you know, there's an issue of how do you get the fighter jets onto the territory called Ukraine? They have to get there somehow, and they usually have to be brought in by truck or by rail car. I would think that Russia knows this. If you and I could discuss this so casually, I think they probably have a map of every rail line and highway coming into Ukraine from Poland and elsewhere. And I would think that they could simply target missiles at those trains and blow them up before they reach the Ukrainian border. I, I that sounds reasonable. Or they could use these drones are getting from Iran that apparently are far more effective than and anyone thought. I, I don't know how long that will last. I doubt they bought a huge number from the Iranians, but it's making a small difference in the war right now. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I know where Iran got those advanced drones from. I say, well, how do you know? You're a guy alone in a house in San Francisco. When Obama was president, there was a strange incident that I recall. I, I mentioned it on the radio, and I continue to remember it. Our most advanced drone, which looked like a small fighter jet, I was surprised at the picture strangely landed on Iranian territory without so much as a nick or a scratch in its finish. It looked like a new Buick Roadmaster that had just been brought in from the factory. And I said, wait a minute, how, how did we send our most advanced drone to the Iranians? And I said, of course, that makes sense from the Obama point of view. He wanted to arm the Iranians from his point of view to create a stalemate with the U.S., in his mind, and not give a, uh, the U.S. an advantage. But I believe that's a U.S.-based drone that they re-engineered. Well, I, I do remember a U.S. drone landing in Iran. It hadn't occurred to me that might be where 
the the Iranians got the designs for these drones are selling to <laughs> it's our design. Well, I'm guessing, of course. But only so a lot of this goes back to the incompetence of the Obama administration, which is continuously continuing to be uh, uh, enacted today. When you look at uh, Victoria Newland and her instrumental, her instrument, her her dipping her fingers into this conflict right at the outset in 2013, where she uh, and John McCain went over there and encouraged the revolution, the so-called maiden revolution to overthrow the Russian installed prime minister. Right. That's when all this started again, didn't it? 2013. That's I mean, Putin blames us for uh, the overthrow of, of uh, uh, his his uh, flunky in, in in Kiev in 2014. But that flunky uh, was managing the country well. It's, it was as corrupt then as it is now. It's not less corrupt today under Zelensky, which brings us to the next question. And, oh, I have to bring it up because he's the new hero. He's the Winston Churchill of the West, but not to me. I believe he's part of the problem. And, and there's an element to this, Fred, that I, sounds a little controversial. There's been talk of the Azov Battalion. There is an Azov Battalion. They wear the insignia of the SS, the Waffen SS that fought under Hitler in, in Ukraine in World War II. That's the, 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 the Azov Battalion. They're wonderful fighters. They're great warriors, but they're extremely Nazi-like. And then when Putin refers to the denazification, I think he's talking about the Azov Battalion in particular. So I look at this and I say, well, how if they're so right wing Nazi like would they permit a Jew to be the president? And the answer is very clear. It's very good chess. Who better to put in power if you're a complete right wing nutcase than a Jewish person? So people can accuse you of being the Nazis that you are. Do you think the Azar Battalion put and, and keep Zelensky in power? For their no, own. I, I completely disagree with all of that. I think there may be extremists in Ukraine, but Zelensky is not one of them. Uh, I don't think the Zelensky government is in any way comparable to the one uh, that he replaced. I think Zelensky is a hero. I want to see Ukraine win. I want to see Zelensky to win. But I also want to be realistic. And I'm worried that Zelensky is going to push for territorial ambitions with Western weapons that could bring nuclear weapons in his country. That's what I'm concerned about. Okay, so you're clearly on the side of a Ukraine victory, but you don't want an escalation. Would that be a fair summary? I, I want a Ukraine victory, but I, I, you know, I want the conflict to end. Uh, when these people say, well, if we just give the Ukrainians enough weapons, they're going to win. I don't think that's necessarily true. And it worries me if we keep piling the weapons on, we're going to cross a red line for Putin and he's going to start using tactical nuclear weapons. Fred, when has providing weapons during a conflict ever de-escalated the situation i think it's a fair point it probably never has i i, I have to <laughs> let's say there's a, a gang war going on between the crips and the bloods in the streets of los angeles so let's see the strategy would be to give one of the gangs more machine guns to stop the bloodshed that's what the bidens are thinking and the people in the nato alliance the argument seems to be if we give Zelensky enough weapons and make Russia lose badly enough in Ukraine, uh, Putin will be overthrown. He'll withdraw his troops. Uh, he'll go to the negotiating table. I mean, maybe that's a possibility. It's also a possibility. He won't do any of those things. He'll dig in. He'll destroy all of Ukraine's infrastructure. And if he's losing badly enough, 
he'll resort to weapons of mass destruction. And the administration isn't focusing on those last two possibilities. Hmm. Some call for blowing up nuclear power plants. You drop a bunker buster on a nuclear power plant, you don't have to do much more than that. The country's decimated. Doesn't Zelensky understand that they need to come to the negotiating table for the sake of the Ukrainian people? I don't understand it. I, I don't really understand where the Ukrainians are coming from. Now, I have a friend who's my attorney who actually lived in Ukraine and represented one, one of the former prime ministers in some legal case. And he tells me that he doesn't see this this ending. He said, I, I know the Ukrainians from a negotiating point of view as a lawyer. He said they never give up. He said something you've got to know, Michael, about the Ukrainian people is they love warfare and they love to fight and they will never quit. That's what he said about their, their nature in a very simple manner. Is there a point at which both sides say enough is enough? When is that? How many million people have to die? Look, I understand that the Ukrainians do not want to negotiate a peace solution, which means they have to give up territory or concede anything to Putin after the war crimes and this unjustified invasion. I understand that. It's a hard thing they're going to have to go along with. I don't know if or when Putin will be ready to negotiate. What I think should be done is that there should be an aggressive international effort to begin the outlines of a negotiating process, push both parties to enter it. It should be there when they're ready to join it. That isn't going on right now. It seems the West is just gambling that if we give enough weapons to Ukraine, Ukraine will win and Putin will be overthrown or be defeated. And, and I mean, it's just there's no reason to believe that that's going to happen. No, it's not happening. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. I must say that during the administration of U.S. President Donald Trump, you worked in the administration, didn't you? Yes. Okay. This wouldn't have happened under Trump, in my estimation. He never would have gotten this far. He would have picked up the phone and called Putin and Zelensky and made it stop before it started. Do you agree with that? Four presidencies in a row, uh, Putin invaded neighboring countries, except mm. Trump, because uh, Putin didn't like Trump, but he saw Trump as a strong president and he did not know what Trump would do. He was unpredictable, which right. was great. He knew exactly what Biden would do. Biden was going to just talk, issue all kinds of warnings. That he wouldn't back up just like the Obama administration. He, he threatened sanctions. Well, Putin knew he'd be sanctioned. That's not going to stop him from invading. But I think you're right that that if Trump said you better stop this or I'll take action, both parties would know Trump will take action. And and I, I think they're not they're not afraid of Biden when he goes to the General Assembly. May, uh, well, you know, you may remember he said, we're not going to get a, we're not going to let Iran get a nuclear weapon. Well, how we're, we're, we're negotiating an agreement that will help them get a nuclear weapon. We're not going to do anything to stop them otherwise. Well, Biden's approach would be to walk off the stage because you know, this is not a laughing matter. We both are seasoned in an analysis of political events. We're both of a certain age. I have never seen a president who is clearly suffering from dementia in plain sight. It's not a pleasant thing to say. He gave a speech a week ago and he walked to the edge of the stage. He did not know where he was. There was an analyst on Newsmax TV who I've had on the podcast. She's brilliant. And she said it's clearly sophomore level medical school anal uh, analysis would tell you that it's Parkinsonian dementia and it's it's fairly advanced. The stiffened gait, <clears throat> the staring, 
the uh, Frankenstein looks. It's Parkinson's. And she said it doesn't get better. It gets this Dr. Kelly victory. She said it gets worse. It gets worse. So we're in very bad shape because we have a president who is feeble and an administration around them who is amateurish, to, to say the least. And then we have a cheering squad from NATO cheering on war, not peace. Now, Kissinger, about a month, six weeks ago, called for negotiation. In my view, if movement towards negotiations and negotiations on peace need to begin the next two months or so. The outcome of the war should be outlined by them before it could it creates uh, upheavals and tensions that will not be could be even harder to overcome. And he was roundly criticized. Suddenly they called him every name under the sun. He's old, he's demented, doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't know what he was doing, calling for peace. Did you, I'm sure you agree with Kissinger saying, let's have peace talks, not war talks. I've been calling for peace talks since this began because I didn't think this would end well. I, I mean, I didn't think the Ukrainians would do this well, but they're not doing well. I mean, the country is, is, being, is being wrecked. Okay, wait, and that's an important point. They're not doing well. So they're staving off Russia. They've caused great damage to the Russian military and Russian prestige, but their own country is being decimated. Is, is true? Their economy is being destroyed. They're, 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 I mean, so many of their citizens have left their country, mostly women. Uh, you know, how, how much will it take to rebuild all that Russia has destroyed? And the, the destruction is going to continue. There may be a stalemate. Russia has tons of missiles, some of which it's getting from North Korea. They may be inaccurate, but they can destroy train stations and factories and ports. I don't think the Russians are going to attack nuclear plants, I might add. I don't think they want to do something that would cause huge amounts of radiation to drift over Russia. But you don't want a conflict near a nuclear plant. And that's another reason that there should be peace talks. Well, I don't think they need to use nuclear weapons. Bunk a bunker busting conventional bomb has the same TNT power as a low-grade tactical nuclear weapon, I believe, correct? I think so. Okay, so they could use it to not escalate it where the world goes crazy and says we should launch our ICBMs at Russia and then end the world. They could simply use a horrendous, as we used in Iraq, by the way, decimated a lot of the infrastructure of, of, of Saddam Hussein's Iraq on the bush. We could use bunker busting bombs and take out, for example, if they took out a dam, what would that do to Ukraine? Well, it, it would be devastating. People would die. Uh, uh, it, it would be the kind of destruction that would take decades to repair if, if it could ever be repaired. It would flood a valley and cut off tremendous power generation, to say the least. God knows how many people would die in that valley that are living in a, in a former river estuary, if, if that's the correct uh, analysis. So there's no good solution to this other than end the damn <clears throat> conflict through peace talks. When Kissinger brought it up, he was criticized by the American left as being old and senile. When we have an old and senile president in plain sight, suddenly they're blind to that and they can't see it. We're reasonable men. We're not on either side here. We feel terrible for the Ukrainian people. We know Putin is the villain. We both agree on that. He had no right to invade Ukraine. But what he has a right to do and what he did are two different things. We can't tell him what to do. Okay, now what? 
how do you get two sides to sit down together, Fred? How do you do that? Well, what what you don't do is to inflame the situation. I think you have to talk about it. You have to be tough, but without infuriating one side or without going to the other side to think that, boy, if they keep on fighting, they're going to defeat the, the, uh, the enemy. We have to create an environment where the parties can join negotiations when they're ready to. And we have to find interlocutors who can speak to both sides to encourage them to do so. I'm not sure who's going to speak to Putin. I know Macron's tried to. Uh, Putin has made fun of Macron as being a fool, but at least Macron keeps trying. He keeps calling him to get him on the phone. I have heard that Anthony Blinken and, and, and Jake Sullivan almost never speak to the Chinese and Russian counterparts. And and I just am mystified by that. Wait, is that, because be- the, is that because the Chinese and Russian counterparts dismiss them as amateurs or because they're too I, arrogant? No, I don't think they want to talk to them. I don't think they understand that even if you have disagreements with your enemies, you have to call them once a week, once a month, have some kind of a dialogue. I, I think they deliberately don't speak to Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister. And it's such a mistake. I thought this was the experienced team, the adults in the room. Mm. I tell you, Mike Pompeo would never have made that mistake. Now, maybe Rex Tillerson would. Fortunately, Trump got rid of him as secretary of state. But Pompeo is pretty good at, at, at engaging his counterparts. OK, so there's no dialogue with counterparts. That's terrible. Wow. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Optional point for us. Iran. Are these riots and protests in Iran the next iteration of the Arab Spring? And do you think a crisis in Iran, a domestic crisis like this, could change the chessboard globally and in the Middle East? I don't know if you know Michael Ledeen. He's a good friend of mine. Which Michael Levine? Michael Ledeen. Levine? Ledeen. Oh, no, no. He's an expert on Iran. He's been calling for a revolution in Iran for a long time because Michael says the people of Iran are striving to be free. And and I might note that 60% of the population is under the age of 30. They don't want to live under this uh, uh, fanatical theocracy. We have corruption. We have mismanagement of the economy. We have the over 1,000 sanctions that Trump put on Iran. That's what this government is trying to keep down. That's what's bringing uh, these protests about right now that have hit over 80 cities in Iran. Sadly, I'm worried that the regime has the capability to put these protests down. Mm. But a revolution is coming in Iran. This government will be overthrown one day. I, I hope this is the day. And I, I'm hoping this will decrease tensions in the Middle East when this fanatical uh, jihadist regime is overthrown. Uh, let's let's just hope that that, 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 that that's coming soon. Right. Uh, let's hope. Taliban signs deal for Russian oil products, gas and wheat. Just came out of Reuters. Taliban now signs deal for Russian oil products, gas and wheat. Number of Russians entering EU jumps 30 percent in a week, border agency says. What about the Nordstrom gas leaks? Is that a blast or, or a uh, volcanic, a volcanic eruption, do you think? You know, there's speculation it was sabotaged by someone. Um, I don't know whether the Russians would sabotage their own pipeline, but, but it, it, or if it happened naturally, I don't know. But that, that's, you know, it's being investigated. Just for people who are listening, the Nord Stream gas pipeline runs from where to where? Uh, it, it, it runs from Russia to Germany. 
Russia to Germany. So it's Russian natural gas piped into Germany, which keeps them warm in the winter. And this major pipeline was shut down temporarily because of gas leaks. And nobody seems to know whether it was sabotage or an underground event. But the loser here is clearly Europe. They're going to wind up having to burn their grandmother's mahogany furniture, as I said before, if this keeps up. Because where is the energy going to come from to heat their homes? If we have a very cold winter on top of it all, what happens then? I think the Germans are in a lot of trouble this winter because they, they can't get the energy they need to make up for the gas they're going to lose from Russia. And it's their own fault because they closed down the nuclear plants, they closed down their coal-fired uh, electricity plants. They're turning some of these facilities back on, but it's not going to be enough. Well, they're not using windmills, I assume. They're not using. I'm, I'm sure they're trying to, but <laughs> John Kerry's not over there advising them. And uh, Pelosi hasn't gone over yet to try to create any new cylinders for her brother-in-law. So far as we have read, uh, you know, strangely, two weeks ago, she was in um, one of the old Eastern Europe uh, Soviet bloc countries, Armenia. What was she doing in Armenia? Do you think what did Armenia have to do with anything? I, I, I don't know, but let me jump to another question about Germany. They also banned fracking. And one reason they banned fracking is because Obama was campaigning against fracking when he was president. He was convincing nations around the world that fracking was bad for the environment. Now, the Germans could be using fracking to, to, to generate a lot of their own energy, but they can't because the country banned it. Fracking is basically breaking your underground uh supply hardened supplies of, of uh, dormant energy in a, in, a, in a generic phrase right you're basically breaking shale and releasing energy through fracking it's it's a method using uh chemicals and high pressure water uh to release uh natural gas and oil uh, uh embedded in in sh underground shale Right. But it's it basically it's underground shale that's being broken or or let's say. Yeah. So Taliban signed deal for Russian oil products, gas and wheat. First known major international economic deal struck by the Taliban since they returned to power more than a year ago. It's from Reuters and it's datelined today about an hour ago. Sign a deal with Russia. Russian President Envoy to Afghanistan, Olazamir Kabilov, shakes hands with a rep of the Taliban delegation before the beginning of international talks on Afghanistan, on Moscow, Russia. Good God. So, you know, we thought that we had Russia in a corner, at least some did. And it turns out the ruble is actually stronger now than it was before. How did that happen? Well, because uh, energy prices soared over the last uh, eight months or so, and nations like China and India never stopped buying Russian energy. I, I mean, the Chinese, I think, made some pretty good deals uh, with the Russians, but these crippling sanctions that Biden was promising in January and February and March, they did not cripple Russia's economy. Uh, I mean, there's there are shortages. There's things that they can't import. Uh, but this is a far cry from what we were promised by Biden uh, when this conflict began. But, Fred, we would both agree that the Taliban are far worse than the mullahs of Iran in terms of how they treat. The people in their country, particularly women. They have the worst human rights uh, record on Earth. They uh, are involved with supplying weapons to other militant groups in order to gain more power around the world. No country formally recognizes the Taliban, which has fought a 20 year 
insurgency against Western forces. And as U.S. troops withdrew under this great general uh, and commander Biden, and we left, what, I don't know, $70 billion worth of weapons? They're now driving around in U.S. vehicles and wearing U.S. army fatigues and helmets and machine guns. Now they've just signed a deal with Russia to supply gasoline, diesel, wheat and gas to Afghanistan with the Taliban. So we've actually emboldened the Taliban as a result of this crazy proxy war in Ukraine. So it's getting worse, not better for us. Well, the, the Taliban has have long memories and they don't particularly like the Russians, but they don't like the United States either. And their economic situation is very, very dire since Western nations aren't dealing with them. That's where this deal came from. And the Russians will make deals with anyone, and as will the Chinese, I might add, which is why they're able to deal in areas where, with nations with a very bad human rights record. So it doesn't surprise me this is something that the Russians would do. It's not going to make a real difference for the Russians. I don't think the, the Afghans have much money to buy anything from Russia, uh, but it, it, it does give Russia an, another small market and maybe a market they can exploit in the future, perhaps for minerals. Wow. What's interesting is that when you look at Afghanistan and its proximity to Russia, the fact is, is that um, these products can be supplied by rail. It's a direct route right into Afghanistan from Russia, isn't it? That's right. Yes. So, so it's a very good, it's a very inexpensive transportation. They don't even need any pipelines for this. And they're selling their wheat to them. So all I'm saying is an unintended consequence, again, of promoting this kind of uh, war. Fred Flights, before we, we, we go, I know you're a busy man and you have wonderful insights, including some today that I have not seen on Newsmax or anywhere else. If you were to write out the scenario going forward into the winter, not much further than that, what do you think is going to happen between now and, and when the winter comes in, in that area? I think Ukraine is going to make some gains before uh, the winter comes, and then there's going to be a stalemate during that time. They'll try to make some gains, but it'll be very difficult because of the winter weather. There'll be uh, missile attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure through the through the winter. The Russians will struggle to rebuild their military with those with these reservists they're calling up, and I think both sides will try to stage an offensive. Um, you know, when when the mud uh, settles down, uh, may, maybe in, in, in April or May, um, I, I think that will still be a stalemate. Uh, and I, my, my hope is that there'll be some progress towards peace talks but right now. I, I don't see it. Hmm. You don't see it. That's a very dark view of the future, which I unfortunately share with you, just because we think it makes sense and we all want world peace. I'm a peacenik at heart. War is not good for children and other living things, as they said in the 60s. You know, where they all go? Where do all the peaceniks in America go? They're worried about abortion, but they're not worried about nuclear war. OK, well, well, we can't get to peace unless people are fighting for peace. And no one is. We're giving weapons to the Ukrainians. And look, I want them to win. I hope that works. But I don't think it's going to work. And, and I think the priority should be getting a ceasefire and preventing Putin from using nuclear weapons. Amen to that. Fred Flights, let's hope that your wish becomes the command of these two nations. Thank you so much for being with us again on the Michael Savage podcast. Always a pleasure. Good to be here. Thank you. Bye now.
Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.